cool to be here this morning, and uh, I actually just want to kick off by jumping straight in and asking um, a simple question, three simple questions, um, simple but obviously quite uh, serious and profound. One is, have you ever felt hopeless? Question number one. Uh, have you ever felt powerless? Um, or have you ever felt like you're just not sure what you're living for or what you're meant to be going after? Um, I don't know if, if you've had these experiences. I'm pretty sure they're not um, uncommon to, to most people in the room. Uh, wherever you are on your, your spiritual journey, whether at this point of your life you consider yourself a Christ follower or not, and I'm pretty sure there's even people who are feeling that, some of these feelings this week or maybe even today. And I do think God wants to speak to us and he wants to reveal stuff to us um, and remind us of a bunch of stuff um, that, that will change us and, and turn us around. And it might not necessarily turn our circumstances around, um, although God is very capable of doing that. But uh, I do feel the stuff that God is going to speak to us about this morning um, can change us and can change our experience of our current reality, whatever that might be, wherever you might find yourself. And so we are in week four of a, of a series called In Christ, and it's actually the first of a whole bunch of mini-series that we're going to string together going through the whole book of Ephesians. Ephesians is uh, probably not, I shouldn't say a book, it's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to this church in Ephesus. And he, he was writing it while he's actually um, in a prison cell. And the letter to the Ephesians is quite simply structured. Um, it's six chapters. The first three chapters, Paul is basically exploring the, the story of the gospel, how the whole of human history came to its climax in the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ. And then the second half of the book is linked to the first half by the word, therefore. And then after that, Paul, in the last three chapters, uh, explores how this gospel story, how all these, these magnificent truths about Jesus and what he's accomplished, how that impacts our life story and what that means for the, the, the way we go about daily life and how that affects um, all sorts of parts of life, from marriage to family to work to community life. Uh, and what this shows us is that, um, technical terms, doctrine leads to doxology. What I mean by that is what we believe, doctrine, what we consider, what we hold to, shapes and changes um, who and what we worship. And Paul is very clearly trying to lay that out, just in the way that he structured this letter. He's going to say, here's the whole bunch of glorious stuff that you need to know. And then in the second half, he's going to say, and this is how it impacts your life. So that's the book of Ephesians. And... Um, in week one, so I just want to grab my water. In week one, we journeyed to the book of Acts uh, in verses, in chapters 18, 19, and 20. And we followed Paul and his crew um, establishing and planting the church in Ephesus. And then for the last two weeks, we've been going through Ephesians chapter one and unpacking God's sort of cosmic plan to adopt, forgive, reconcile, bless a, a people to himself for his glory. And then doing that through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, his son, and then giving us his Holy Spirit to guide us, to, to be with us, to, to shape us, to mold us, to change us, and be a, a deposit in our hearts of all the things that are, are guaranteed to be ours as we're sort of on our journey through this life, um, which one day will come to an end when Jesus Christ returns and he wraps up human history and he renews all things. And it's a, it sounds so epic when you say it, because it really is. It's, it's, it's the cosmic true story of what God's doing in the world and how we're a part of it. And in verses 3 to 14, um, Greg told us last week, it's actually one long sentence in the Greek. 
And it's this, it's this prayer to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, about all the blessings that, that we've received in Christ. And similarly today, verses 15 to 23, it's also one long sentence in the Greek. This time, though, it's Paul outlining his prayers to God and the stuff that he's carrying for the Ephesians, that he's grateful for, that he's asking for. And we get to appreciate it all these centuries later, and hopefully God is going to use it to speak to us today. So I'm going to read it, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, and then we'll pray and we'll unpack it. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's an epic little passage. And uh, prayer is not the content of what Paul's saying today. He's not, he's not telling them um, how to pray and why prayer is good, but prayer is the context with in which all this stuff is being shared today. And so hopefully, although we're not going to unpack a sort of a theology of prayer, hopefully we do also pick up a few things um, for our prayer lives. And what, what Paul is praying, hopefully we can, we can model that and start to integrate that into, into our prayer lives as well. But this is where we're going. We're going to ask two questions of this passage. What's Paul thankful for? And what is Paul asking for? Those are the two questions we're going to unpack. So let me just pray, and then um, we'll jump in. Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit right now to come and make this text come alive. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you um, to, to take place and happen in our midst right now, God. We want the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened so that what Paul was praying for the Ephesians, um, we might also experience, we might also know. God, you are the one who reveals yourself. We can't figure things out by ourselves and make things up by ourselves. The Holy Spirit is the one that opens up God's word, opens up our hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to do this, to come and speak to us, to come and give us courage and whatever else we might need today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, what is Paul thankful for? Right off the bat, he's thankful for two things. He's thankful for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's thankful for their love towards the saints. And this is actually quite a good definition, if you think about it, of what it means to be a Christ follower. In many ways, these two things are, are the bedrock of our faith. They're sort of a litmus test of, of where we're at um, in our journey of following Christ. Trust in Jesus and love for people. Those are the two things that Paul is thankful for. And it's very similar to what Jesus sums up um, the whole Old Testament law as. He says all the commandments in the Old Testament hinge on the first two, which are basically love God, and love people. That's, the, that's the, the bottom line. 
But let's just look at these things a little more uh, carefully. The first thing he's, he's thankful for, he's thanking God for the faith of the Ephesians, the, their faith in the Lord Jesus. He's grateful for their faith. And there's lots of things that I suppose he could be, he could be grateful for, and I'm sure he was grateful for. Um, he could have even said, I, I, I'm so grateful for your love of the Lord Jesus. But he says faith. And faith is something that God just loves. Let's remember, it's by faith that a person can be saved from their sins and, and reconciled to God. Uh, if you read the book of Hebrews, um, there's a whole chapter talking about uh, the fact that by faith, a whole bunch of people in human history um, achieved things for God, uh, brought, brought the purposes and plans of God into fruition by faith, by trusting God. And I don't know all of our backgrounds, where we've come from, but I think for a lot of us sometimes, um, especially if you are, are not a Christ follower, faith can sound like a very airy-fairy word, um, it's, and it's not. It simply means trust or believing. And if you consider this, it's the highest honor when someone can come up to you and just say, hey, I don't know all the circumstances, I don't know all the facts, but because you've said this thing to me, I believe it. That's, that's one of the highest honors that someone can pay you, to just say, hey, because you say it, I believe it. And maybe he's even chosen it here instead of love, because it can be quite easy to just say, yeah, I love God, or, or, or I, I love Jesus. But, but do we trust him? Do we trust him? If you trust him, you follow him. If you trust him, you, you believe that what he says is true and that his commands are, are for your good. There there's, is a real tangibility to faith that I don't think... Um, the, the outside world often um, considers or, or, or gives credit to us for. Typically, faith and faith of Christ followers is viewed as, honestly, if you think about it, it's viewed as some sort of blind hope in something we're not really sure is real and is most likely contradictory to science and reason and history. And it's just this sort of thing of hoping in something that, that quite possibly isn't true and just hoping that everything turns out okay. That's how often faith is, is perceived and how people um, think... Uh, that Christ followers think that what, that's what Christ followers mean, but it's not what we mean. And it's not at all what, what Paul means here in this passage. What here Paul is talking about and what we believe is, is Paul is simply talking about believing a person, believing someone. Not even the concept of believing in a God, that there is a God out there. No, but believing Jesus, believing him, believing what he says, taking him at his word. That's what we mean by, by faith. And Paul here, he's celebrating the fact that, that these brothers and sisters in Ephesus trust in Jesus. They believe what Jesus says. And they've trusted in his work on the cross, that their sins have been forgiven, that they've been reconciled to God, they've been adopted into his family, they believe that God now lives inside each one of them, like he outlined in the previous verses. They believe that God is good because he says he is, despite some of the hardships that they might face. And we, we saw some of the hardships that Paul faced while he was in Ephesus. And they believe that Jesus is going to return. He's going to wrap up human history and he's going to wipe away every tear and he's going to usher in a new age because he said he would. These guys trust Jesus. And that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I don't think we can almost get anything better than that. That is an amazing thing. But he's also thankful for their love towards the saints. The saints are the people of God. They're the other adopted brothers and sisters like us sitting in this room today. We are the saints. And Paul's heard about the way that they're, that they're in each other's lives and they're loving each other and they're caring for each other. He doesn't use the word, your love for the saints. He says, your love towards the saints. There is a way that somehow this love is being expressed 
by having meals with each other and, and encouraging each other and calling spiritual gifts out of each other and teaching one another and having affection for one another. And so Paul is so grateful to God that, that, that this is the situation in Ephesus at the moment. And these are two beautiful things. And I think it's worth noting that, that Paul doesn't thank them. Maybe we can just go back to the, the scripture. Paul doesn't thank them or say well done to them. He gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God. And he wouldn't do that if he didn't think God was involved or God was responsible for what's going on. And so somehow in God's sovereign grace, it's him who's working in faith and love, doing this stuff in the Ephesians' hearts, which is a cool thing. And no doubt Paul's obviously writing and he's telling them um, so that they would be encouraged and so that they would keep, keep on going, pursuing this faith and pursuing love um, of, the, of the brotherhood and the sisterhood. But he gives glory to God, and he thanks God for it. So I've just got two questions for us as we wrap up this first question. Two questions. Are we grateful for these things in others? We uh, had a staff meeting a few weeks ago, and someone uh, from the state just asked us this question. Are we grateful for these things in the people around us? Are we grateful um, for faith? Are we grateful for love? It's it's obviously very popular today to have an, an attitude of gratitude, and uh, the, the research all shows that people who are generally more grateful for stuff seem to be healthier, seem to be happier, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God, who wired this stuff in human history, knew this was going to come miles before uh, modern psychology. But um, what Paul's not talking about here are the sort of the micro-gratitudes of, man, this is a, I'm so grateful for this cup of coffee, or I'm so grateful for the waves today if you're a surfer, or even maybe something bigger, like I'm so grateful for, for my safety. What Paul is grateful for, here, grateful for here are these massive sort of cosmic things that literally play a part in the shaping of human history. Faith in Jesus Christ and love for the saints. Those are things that Paul is like, I am grateful for these massive things. And so are we grateful for the faith of the people sitting next to us? Have, have, we, have we expressed it? I don't think I expressed it enough. I think of people I met with this week, and I, I probably should have just said at one point, I'm so grateful to God for your faith. Because it's amazing that you are trusting Christ no matter what's happening. And so are we grateful for this? Are we grateful for the faith of the people sitting next to us? Are we grateful for the faith of the people in our, in our life groups? And then secondly, are we pursuing these things for ourselves? Um, are we pursuing these things for ourselves? Are we trusting in Jesus and are we loving people? Are we trusting Jesus or are we, are we compromising? Are we doing our own thing? Are we trusting Jesus or are we, are we going our own way? Are we trusting, from, tr- trusting in Jesus or are we shying away from stepping into the things that he's, he's called us to? And then are we, are, we, are we loving the saints? Are we loving the brothers and sisters? Are people in our lives, are they around our dinner table? Are we carrying each other's burdens? Are we praying for one another? Are we keeping each other accountable? Are we teaching each other? How are we doing in these things? That's the question. I, I know we've all got a long way to go. But hopefully God is stirring in us now this thing. These are the things that Paul thought were of massive value. And so they they need to be of massive value to us as well. And hopefully um, we can all at some point be thanking God for the same stuff. I'm so thankful for the love of the saints that this church gives to to each other. And so grateful for the faith that we're given. So that's what what Paul is, is thankful for. And the second question is this. What is Paul asking for? What is Paul asking for? So... He doesn't just leave it as at the point of, hey, this is what you guys are doing really well, and I'm so grateful that God is doing this in here, in you. Um, the whole point is no one ever arrives. None of us arrive in our journey with Jesus. We consistently go, no matter how great things are, no matter how well we're doing, no matter how much God is moving among us, there's always more. 
there's always more. And Paul knows this, which is why he keeps writing. And I suppose there's lots of things that he could ask for. There's a whole bunch of things he could ask for. But what does Paul deem essential? And it's this. He just says, it's a knowledge of God. That's what Paul is, is asking for for the Ephesians, a knowledge of God. So Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would give them and us a, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. And he kind of says it a different way, but it's the same concept when he asks for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. He wants us to, to know more than we used to know and um, for the stuff of God to be revealed to us, to shape the way we live, to shape the way we respond. And I don't think this is actually new stuff. Um, I think here what Paul's asking for is a greater revelation of what we've already been given. Because he started off the whole letter by saying, you have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing because we're in Jesus. And Paul's asking here for a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding and a deeper anticipation of, um, of these truths, of everything that we do already have in Christ. And that's going to affect the here and now. And what Paul, I'm certain, is not asking for is just mere intellectual knowledge of stuff. Um, what, what Paul's not getting at here is, hey, just read these verses and sort of bank what they say, because anyone can do that. Anyone can read these few verses from Ephesians and be like, cool, X, Y, Z, that's what God's talking about. What Paul's talking about here is an experiential knowledge that's not less than knowing fact. We need to know truth. We need to know things. Paul gives us teachings and doctrine, but that it's also an experience. And this is how often the Bible uses the word knowledge. Um, in the Garden of Eden, the, the there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that wasn't just some, some knowledge that Adam and Eve weren't meant to possess. It was an experience of evil that they weren't ever meant to experience, but they did. It's that kind of knowledge. It's a tasting. It's like when the Bible says, Adam knew Eve and they had a son. It's an experiential knowledge. It's something that needs to be grasped. And basically this knowledge is made up of three things here that Paul highlights. Um, three things that sort of fit under this umbrella that, that if we get them and we own them and we believe them and they are a part of us, they are going to shape the here and now for us. They are going to shape the way we experience our current reality. And so the three things are this, knowing what is the hope to which we're called, knowing what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and knowing what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. It's those three things. So let's just unpack those briefly. The first one, Paul's praying that we would know what is the hope to which we're called. So he reminds us, as Christ followers, God called you. God called you to himself. He opened your eyes. He, he gave you faith so that you might be able to see who he is, see the world for what it is, and trust in him. And by faith, we are in Christ. That's the, that's the title of our series. By faith, we've been counted in Christ. Everything that is his is ours. But when we were called, we were called to something. So Paul says, hey, when you were called, you were called to a hope, this hope. And this hope, I think, is, is, is all the good things that are ours and will be ours in Christ. That's what the hope is. It's so multifaceted. It's, it's, let me go for a list. It's the fact that we will be transformed in holiness and we will be presented blameless before God, and we will be part of the fully realized kingdom age where everything's put right, where all things are united in him, where sin, Satan, death have been completely removed, 
We will receive immortal bodies. We will join with the people from every tribe and tongue and worship God. We will know that our lives have counted for something eternal. We will live in full communion with God. This is the hope to which we've been called to. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and again, the hope here is it's, it's not a doubtful desire of something that we're hoping might happen but might not. It might just flop and, and all fall over. No, it's something that's certain, that's sure, that Paul says we can stand on. That's going to happen. It's coming for us. It's the conviction that God is putting all things under the headship of Jesus. All things. He's, he's going to unite all things. His plans for us and the world will be accomplished, and we will have a participation in those plans. That's the hope to which we've been called. And Tim Keller, um, he has this little story, and I can't remember the exact um, menial task that the people are up to, but he just says, Picture two people in two separate rooms in sort of solitary confinement for a month, and they've both been given the most menial task to accomplish. But the one guy has been told, hey, at the end of this month, you're going to receive minimum wage, and you're going to pay tax on that, and you'll probably have to split your share with the guy in the other room. So he has to get on with this little task for a month, not seeing anyone. In the other room, the guy has been told, at the end of a month, you are going to receive an all-expensive paid trip to Mauritius for two months. You are going to receive an Aston Martin DB9, completely yours, no strings attached, as well as one million rand cash tax-free. What do you think the experience of that month is for those two different people? It's completely different. The one guy is just going to be over it, and he's going to be resenting the other guy. The other guy is going to be whistling and happy and time's going to fly. It's going to feel like two seconds for him because he's like, when I'm out of here, I'm getting all that amazing stuff. And that's the, that's the difference that a hope can make in our lives. That hope can change. It might not change the, the circumstances, but it can change your experience in those circumstances. And that's what Paul wants for us. That's what Paul wants for the Ephesians. That's, that's what he wants for us. The second thing is this. He wants us to know what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Notice these are all present tense. Not what one day will be your hope. Um, It's what is your hope. You haven't got it all yet, but but it's yours now. And same with this. What are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? I think this can mean two things. I think they're both true. The first is that the saints, the people of God, are his inheritance. The verse says, his inheritance. And so like in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were God's inheritance. They were his reward. They were the thing that God gets to enjoy and celebrate and revel in. And I love that. That's true for us. I think it's Zechariah or Zephaniah. I think it's Zechariah, um, where it speaks of God singing and rejoicing over his people. And that's what he does over us, the saints, his church. God sings and rejoices over us because we are his inheritance. He's earned it and he gets to and rejoice in the fact that he's got this whole massive family that he's adopted. Secondly, though, it can mean this, and I think it means both. Um, Because we're in Christ, everything that is Christ's has been credited to us. We are co-heirs now with Jesus. We rule and reign with him. And also, we all have an inheritance that we'll receive for the the fruits of our, our labor and work and journey with Christ. There is stuff that God is going to give us at the end of time, and even now in this present age, because we've been walking faithfully with him, there's stuff that he's going to do and give to us. And I just thought of one example um, that I sort of got to see in the flesh the other day. But Matt, picture this as an example. That to you, God's going to give you a lineage of faith. So at the end of your life, 
um, as the days are wrapping up and you can wonder um, where all the days and years and months and weeks went to, you'll be able to look out at a bunch of people and say, those years went into those people and they were invested in discipling people and loving people and pointing people to Jesus. And you can stand back and see this heritage that God has given you as an inheritance because of your faithfulness to him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And there's, there's tons of different ways that God rewards us, but I just thought of that one as quite a, quite a cool one. And the riches of this inheritance are available to us now. Obviously, we will only receive our full inheritance then with our glorified, resurrected bodies and the whole package. But there is some way where God is going to start giving us an inheritance now in this present age. And... Um, I wanted to just read a verse from Mark 10. Um, so Michelle and I have been at part of this church for five months now, um, pretty much to the day. And I remember about eight months ago, we were in the turmoil of processing, flip, do we leave our home church? Do we leave Rondebosch PM and, and come here and leave all the people that we know and love? And we called Kevin and Claire, who used to lead this church. We, we sought advice everywhere. And Claire said to us this fascinating thing. She said, it was far easier for them to move and go take over a church in Hong Kong than it was when they first moved from Rondebosch to the inner city um, nine, ten years ago, because they didn't realize the cost um, of that. You kind of, when you're leaving for another country, you, you, you know there's going to be a cost. And um, Mission I processed this, and we, and, and we processed um, leaving friends and not seeing people as often as we'd, we would, and it was this verse that encouraged us, Mark 10, verse 29 to 30. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive an inheritance a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And that has encouraged us so much that, that although we left friends, we have been, we found new friends. Although we left brothers and sisters, God has given us new brothers and sisters. Um, we left one land, we've, we've part of another land. And we're going to receive eternal life. And it's going to be so worth it. And this is like a small thing. Like compared to moving to Hong Kong, really, moving down the road isn't that big. But there's something that God has for us. So God wants us to know what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints? And then lastly, knowing what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So I'll just read that passage where this comes from, verse 90 to 23. I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this evil age, but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God is all-powerful, and the greatest demonstration of, of God's power was when he defeated sin, Satan, and death when Jesus died on the cross, and he, he caused him to be risen again to new life. That is, the, that is the most mind-blowing power you will ever hear of and ever experience. And Jesus, by that power, has now been promoted to king of the universe, but that power is what is available to us who believe. It's available today to us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us one day from the dead into immortal bodies, but it's available now 
that future kingdom can flash forward now and break in to the present. And we, we need to believe this. It's God's power has been, all of God's power is directed towards us who believe. Imagine that, imagine a funnel, and we're at the bottom of that funnel, receiving the power of God towards us in our lives. And the fact that God is all-powerful and is sovereign is the very reason that we can pray and ask for him to intervene. If God wasn't powerful, we could pray, but we don't know if God's actually even capable of coming through. But he is. He's the Lord of the universe. He's, he's above every single authority. And we can, we can call out to him for that resurrection power to break through now. And I think what Paul wants us to remember here is that God is for us. God is for us. That's why he said the power is towards you. He's for us, to purify us, to make us holy, to give us purpose, and he wants to be called upon in times of need. God wants to be called upon in times of need. He's not a cosmic butler that's just going to give us every single request we sort of throw up to him. He's much better than that. God is a loving, kind, gracious father who will give us exactly what we need because he knows what we need. And even like a little kid sometimes doesn't understand why his dad might say no or say not now. God knows what is best. He's a good, loving father, but he still desires us to ask. I want that to be the bottom line. And Jesus is head over everything in all realms. This whole sentence that Paul is sort of unpacking the power of God. He's saying Jesus is head over everything, but he's also head of his church. And he loves his church. We are his body. We're the fullness of him. He's the head that nourishes and cherishes his body and takes care of his body. And he's working for our good. And Paul wants us to know and to experience these truths because they're going to change the way we can step into tomorrow. If we can consider the the hope and the inheritance and the power of God that's for us and towards us, that that changes our experience of of whatever's going around in our lives. And so we need to ask God for a greater revelation. That's what Paul does. He's not saying, do these things now, feel them. He's saying, I'm praying that God, by his Holy Spirit, will do this in your heart, will have the eyes of your hearts enlightened by the power of his Spirit to to grasp these truths. And these are the kinds of prayers that, that Paul would be praying for people in prison. I don't know what kind of prayers dominate our prayer lives. Um, I know there's a, there's a whole bunch. But for Paul, the most important, glorious things that he could pray for are these things. That we would know the hope, that we would know the riches of his inheritance, that, that we would know his power. And so hopefully we can start to adopt these sorts of things in our prayer lives. And I don't know for Greenpoint, but tonight at Seapoint, I'm going to say, life groups this week, I feel like we should spend the chunkiest time actually praying and thanking God for the faith of each other and thanking God for the love that we get to experience and give and and asking God for these greater revelations of all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, of the hope of the inheritance, of the power towards us. I think we should just spend some chunky time asking God to do that in us. and I'm going to pray now for him to even do that now. Um, we, we've run on a, a bit long, so I'm not going to call the band up. Um, but I am going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray for myself um, as we do this. Maybe you can close your eyes. And uh, I'd love to pray for. I'd love to pray for anyone. Firstly, who's you came in today and you're not a Christ follower, and um, maybe now in this meeting God has been 
calling you to himself and he's been stirring something in you and you, you, you feel like you, you need to respond but you're not sure how. And that's a beautiful thing because remember, the power of God is towards those who believe and God is then saying to you today, believe, believe. I'm doing something in your heart, enabling you to see me freshly for who I truly am. The power of God is, is for those who, who believe the world is, is not how it should be because of Satan, sin and death. It's for those who believe that the problem of the world is not just out there, but it's also in our hearts. We need our sin to be taken care of. We need to be reconciled to God. It's for those who believe that Jesus lived that perfect life and on the, on the cross took the punishment for our sin and death has been defeated and we can be adopted and all his perfection can be credited to us. And so if there's anyone here who'd love to trust in Christ for the first time, who is believing the truth of the good news, the gospel, won't you put up your hand in a second, and I'd love to pray for you. Um, we want to try to do this as often as possible, because always, so often there's someone in the room who's never believed in Christ for the first time. So if there is anyone, please pop up, pop up your hand. I'd love to pray for you just now. And then for those of us who are Christ followers, who, I don't know where you find yourself this week, but what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I want to pray for us right now that we would know the hope, that we would know the inheritance, that we would know the power. So let's pray. Father God, if there is anyone here today who is trusting you for the first time, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the eyes of their heart being open to you, for them seeing Jesus for who you truly are and for seeing their life for what it truly is a life in need of the grace and forgiveness of God. And if that is you, I would ask you right now to just say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of the life lived apart from you. I need your grace. I want to be a part of your plans. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Count me in. Adopt me as one of yours. For the rest of us, God, I pray right now, God, that you would... In our midst, do something in our hearts, God. Please open our hearts. By your Spirit, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better, that we might experience you more, that we might taste and see that you are good, that we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ, and that we have a hope that's beyond the current circumstances, whatever they might be. And God, you've got an inheritance for us. You've got things for us to walk into, for us to receive one day completely the well done, good and faithful servant as we're completely in your presence. And God, help us know right now that your power is available, that we can ask you to intervene in our lives, ask you to do stuff in our situations because your power is for us and towards us because you love us and and you're good, and you love your church, and you sing over us. So God, help these truths become real for us. Help us to stand on them. Help us to grab hold of them. Help us to make use of them in the present, God. God, we love you because you first loved us, and we thank you for your greatness and your grace and your mercy and your kindness towards us, God, as a people. Amen.